please open up your Bibles. First Samuel chapter 14. <clears throat> I, I, I love um, discovering uh, the way people acted in the Old Testament. Uh, one of the most unsung heroes of the Old Testament is a guy by the name of Jonathan. In 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 45, uh, we read this. And if you wouldn't mind, please stand for the reading of the word of God. Just one verse here. But it, but it emphasizes how the people felt about Jonathan. 1 Samuel 14, 45, it says, But the people said to Saul, Shall Jonathan die? who has accomplished this great deliverance in Israel. Certainly not as the Lord lives, not one hair of his head shall fall to the ground, for he has worked with God this day. So the people rescued Jonathan, and he did not die. Dear Father, I thank you for the way that you work, uh, not only in the Old Testament, not only in the New Testament, but the way that you work today. Uh, I thank you that we have the privilege at any time to open up your word, uh, to, to read these passages, to read these um, seemingly you know, remote passages in the Bible and see how they all tie together and point us to you, to your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, I thank you for the example that we're going to be looking at today of Jonathan, who, who literally gave everything for his friend. And the same thing that you did for us, giving everything for us. Lord, I thank you for the privilege to be up here now speaking to these, my friends and my family uh, here in this congregation. I, I appreciate this opportunity, Lord. I ask that you would move mightily today in Jesus' holy and precious name. Uh, amen and amen. This is not the first time I've delivered this sermon. This is not the second time I've delivered this sermon. Six years ago, I had the opportunity on a Wednesday night. I remember it was graduation night. There was hardly a person in the, in the pews or in the uh, chairs. And I had the privilege of, of delivering this study on Jonathan. I've had the privilege of going to other churches and delivering this same sermon to other churches. People come up to me and they say, wow, that was a great sermon, John. Guess what? It wasn't me. We have a, an amazing pastor who every single week stands in this pulpit and has to preach a different sermon every single week. Not only on Sundays, but also on Wednesdays and also on Tuesday mornings. He, he, he prepares something new. Uh, 
I, I want to quote something from a guy by the name of Benjamin Franklin. And Benjamin Franklin had a, had a friend. His name was George Whitfield. George Whitfield was an evangelist that came over from uh, Wales and Ireland, and, and he would come to America and, and preach to the heathens in Georgia. He would preach to the heathens in Philadelphia and, you know, along the East Coast. And Benjamin Franklin, even though he wasn't a Christian, would go and listen to this guy, this evangelist by the name of George Whitfield. Uh, you can look this up, by the way, and, and the link will be in the notes online. Uh, this is a, a direct quotation from the autobiography of Benjamin Franklin. In 1739 arrived among us from Ireland the Reverend Mr. Whitfield, who had made himself remarkable there as an itinerant preacher. By hearing him often, I came to distinguish easily between sermons newly composed and those which he had often preached in the course of his travels. His delivery of the latter, the ones that he was able to practice, was so improved by frequent repetitions that his every accent, every emphasis, every modulation of voice was so perfectly well-tuned and well-placed that without being interested in the subject, Benjamin Franklin not wanting Christianity, even though he was still interested in the, or not interested in the subject, one could not help being pleased with the discourse, a pleasure which the same kind with that received from an excellent piece of music. This is an advantage itinerant preachers have over those who are stationary, as the latter cannot well improve their delivery of a sermon by so many rehearsals. We have an amazing pastor, and this is a, a large pulpit to fulfill. I understand that. But I want you to understand that I've been able to practice this sermon. Not, and, and you hearing this maybe for the first time, and reading these texts maybe for the first time in your life, I want you to understand this is the Holy Spirit speaking. This is God speaking through me. This is not John Jones up here. We read in 1 Samuel chapter 14, starting in verse 1, what it was like to be Jonathan. Jonathan is now fighting a battle. 1 Samuel 14, verse 1. Now it happened one day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistines. Let us go to their garrison that is on the other side. But he did not tell his father. And Saul was sitting in the outskirts of, Gal Gib of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree which is in Migron. The people who were with him were about 600 men. Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, was wearing an ephod. And the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Between the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other. And the name of one was Bozes, and the name of the other, Sina. And the front of one faced northward opposite Michmash, and the other southward opposite Gibeah. 
Then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. Was Jonathan a courageous man? Yes, he was. Two people against the Philistine garrison there in Gibeah. Uh, two people against an army. What Was Jonathan a godly man? Who did he trust in for the victory? Who did he trust in? God. This was a courageous, godly man. Now, during World War I, there was a general by the name of Allenby, okay? He, he was uh, a British general. Uh, he was in charge of this same area where we're talking about right now. Uh, he was fighting the Turks, and, and instead of the Philistines in this area, it was the Turks that were in this area. And, and General Allenby, he had remembered from his church days, from his Sunday school days, this story. And, and he had remembered those two sharp rocks. That there was a valley between these two sharp rocks where Jonathan and his armor bearer walked up through and they approached the Philistine uh, garrison. Uh, General Allenby in 1918 used this same exact tactic to defeat the Turks. This is a strategic area. Uh, let's see what Jonathan did. Verse 7. So his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Go then, here I am, according to your heart. Then Jonathan said, Very well. Let us cross over to these men. We will show ourselves to them. If they say thus to us, Wait until we come to you. And then we will stand still in our place and not go up to them. But if they say to us, come up to us, then we will go up for the Lord has delivered them into our hand. And this will be a sign to us. What Was Jonathan a godly man who trusted in the Lord? Was Jonathan a courageous man who believed that God would give him the victory? Yes, he was. Verse 11. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. The Philistines said, look, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden. Then the men of the garrison called to Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come up to us. And we will show you something. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me, for the Lord has delivered them into the hand of Israel. And Jonathan climbed up on his hands and knees with his armor bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan. And as he came after him, his armor bearer killed them. That first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men within half an acre of land, a great victory for two people, uh, routing this garrison of Philistine army. 
uh, this people that were trying to invade the land. Who was it that took the initiative to defeat the Philistines? Who was it? Jonathan. It was Jonathan. Verse 15. There was a trembling in the camp, in the field, and among all the people. The garrison and the raiders also trembled, and the earth quaked so that it was a very great trembling. Now the watchmen of Saul in Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and there was a multitude melting away, and they went here and there. Then Saul said to the people who were with him, Now call the roll. See who has gone from us. Does Saul even know what has been happening? Does Saul even know that his son has gone and fought the Philistines and made this great victory in the Lord's name? No. When they had called the roll, surprisingly, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. And Saul said to Ahijah, Bring the ark of God here, for at that time the ark of the God uh, of God was with the children of Israel. Now it happened while Saul talked to the priests that the noise which was in the camp of the Philistines continued to increase. So Saul said to the priests, Withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all the people who were with him assembled, and they went to the battle, and indeed every man's sword was against his neighbor, and there was a very great confusion in the midst of the Philistine camp. Moreover, the Hebrews who were with the Philistines before that time, who went up with them into the camp with the surrounding country, they also joined the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, all the men of Israel who had hidden in the mountains of Ephraim, when they heard that the Philistines fled, they also followed hard after them in the battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle shifted uh, to Beth of Eden. Now, you have to see what is happening here. Who initiates this battle? Jonathan. Was Jonathan a courageous man? Was Jonathan a godly man who, who loved the Lord with all of his heart? Yes, he did. Who takes credit for this battle? Who takes credit for this great victory? Who, who joins the battle after the first rout? Yeah. Read with me verse 24. And the men of Israel were distressed that day, for Saul had placed the people under oath, saying, Cursed is the man who eats any food until evening before I have taken vengeance on mine enemies. So none of the people tasted food. I'm going to ask you the same exact questions that I asked about Jonathan. Was Saul a courageous man? No. What is he doing to the people? He's forcing them on a march to fight without food in their bellies. He's forcing his army to march behind him into battle unprepared. Was Saul relying upon the Lord? No, he was not. Was Saul a wise king? No king would ever do this. 
especially to their army, especially to their people. He's making them produce a victory that is forced. Verse 25, now all the people of the land came to the forest. There was honey on the ground. And when the people had come into the woods, there was the honey dripping. It's just pouring out of the trees. But no one put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath. Now, why do they fear Saul? Is it because they love him? Why do they fear Saul? Because they're scared of the curse that Saul has proclaimed against his own army. Because he is telling them, you are not allowed to have any food until I get the victory. Dripping honey, dripping honey. Verse 27. But Jonathan had not heard his father's charge, the people with the oath. Therefore, he stretched out the end of the rod that was in his hand, dipped it into the honeycomb, put his hand to his mouth. And what happens to his countenance? We have this today, except for it's marketed in little pills. You don't know that, right? It's like, you know, the, the, the honey, uh, the essence of honey, or, or the, you know, the, the bee, you know, honeycomb, all those kind of things, right, that are marketed today. This was free dripping down out of the forest. And Jonathan, being the courageous, godly man that he is, knowing that he needs to eat, what does he do? He, he tastes it. And his county, he gets energy from this natural source. This is not some processed sugar. This is natural sugar that is dripping from the trees. The people tell him this, unfortunately, verse 28. Then one of the people said, Your father strictly charged the people with an oath, saying, Cursed is the man who eats food this day. And the people were faint. But Jonathan said... My father has troubled the land. Look now how my countenance has brightened because I tasted a little of this honey. How much better if the people had eaten freely today of the spoils of their enemy which they found. For now would there not have been a much greater slaughter among the Philistines. What was Jonathan a godly man who loved the Lord and trusted in him? What was Jonathan a courageous man, a, a strong warrior who stood up for what was right? The next question, was Jonathan a wise leader? Yes, he was. He understood the needs of his army. He understood the needs of the people. Unfortunately, the people are so hungry, they, they defeat these uh, Philistine garrisons, these armies, and they start slaughtering the cows, and they eat, start eating uh, from the very you know, raw meat that is butchered from these cows. We skip ahead there to verse, uh, 40, uh, verse 40 there. And we see what happens because of 
this slaughter that is taking place amongst the cows where the people are eating the raw meat. Verse 40, it says, Then he said to all Israel, You be on one side, my son Jonathan and I will be on the other. And the people said to Israel, Do what seems good to you. Do the people know who has violated this oath? Do the people know who it was that took that honey and put it in his mouth? Do the people know that? There's only one person in all of Israel that does not know who took the honey and put it in his mouth. It was Saul. All the people are one side. They know who's safe. Saul and Jonathan are on the other. They cast lots. Verse 41, then Saul said to the Lord God of Israel, give a perfect lot. So Saul and Jonathan were taken and the people escaped. And Saul said, cast lots between my son Jonathan and me. So Jonathan was taken. Then Saul said to Jonathan, tell me what you have done. And Jonathan told him and said, I only tasted a little honey with the end of the rod that was in my hand. So now I must die? Saul said, God, do so and more also, for you shall surely die, Jonathan. Was Saul a wise king? Was Saul a courageous king? Was Saul a person who relied upon the Lord? No. It's all about his own ego. He's willing to kill his oldest son, Jonathan. Who's going to be the next king of Israel when Saul dies? Now, you have not read past this verse. You have not read past this verse. All of you have gone to Sunday school. All of you guys are looking back with a 2020 vision, knowing who the next king of Israel is going to be. And that king hasn't even been anointed yet. In fact, he hasn't even been mentioned yet until chapter 16. In the people's eyes, who's going to be the next king of Israel after Saul dies? Who? Jonathan. Jonathan's going to be the next king. And what is Saul willing to do with his oldest son? Kill him. And this is when the people rise up. Verse 45. But the people said to Saul, Shall Jonathan die who has accomplished this great deliverance in Israel? Certainly not as the Lord lives, not one hair of his head shall fall to the ground. For he has worked with God this day. So the people rescued Jonathan, and he did not die. Was Jonathan a courageous man who followed the Lord's uh, doing? Was Jonathan a godly man? who made sure he followed after what God wanted him to do? Was Jonathan a wise man who, who put the people first? And did Jonathan have the love of the people? Yes, he did. 
the name I have not mentioned yet, that's not even going to be mentioned in the Bible for two more chapters, is now going to be anointed the king of Israel. Not Jonathan, this man, who is godly, wise, follows after the Lord with all of his heart, has the love of the people. It is now another person that's going to take Jonathan's place. If you were in that position, what would you do? And we see it all the time in politics. What would you do if you were the godly man who was wise and supposed to be the next king of Israel? And now a little shepherd boy is going to take your place. A, a, a person that did not grow up in a royal family, that doesn't have the title, that doesn't have any of the accoutrements that go with being a prince, that doesn't have any of the training, is just a person out in the fields playing a harp, watching sheep. What would you do? We know what Saul does. We, we preach about it all the time. Saul hated this. But what about Jonathan? What does Jonathan do? Let's find out. 1 Samuel chapter 18. Four chapters ahead. 1 Samuel chapter 18 verses 1 through 4. Now when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. Who is initiating the covenant? Who is initiating the covenant? It's not David. It's the greater to the lesser. It's, it's Jonathan, the prince of Israel, to whom? David, a shepherd boy who at this time has just defeated Goliath. Who initiates this covenant? It is Jonathan. And Jonathan, verse 4, took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David. And his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. Did, did David have any of these things? He, he tried on Saul's armor, but it was too big, remember? Jonathan's armor fits. Jonathan gives him his sword. One of only two swords that were previously said to have been in all of Israel. He gives him his bow. He gives him his royal robe. He gives him his belt. The one that where the sword would go. All these things that signified Jonathan's royalty. What does he do with them? What does he do with all the outward showings of his royalty? 
he gives them freely to whom? David. Is there any jealousy here? Is there any envy on the part of Jonathan toward David? Uh, Jonathan was a friend who gave literally sacrificially of his outward garments. What else did Jonathan do for his friend? Chapter 19, verse 1. Please turn with me there. Now Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted greatly in David. So Jonathan told David, saying, My father Saul seeks to kill you. Therefore, please be on your guard until morning. Stay in a secret place and hide, and I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak with my father about you. Then what I observe, I will tell you. And then Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father. Was there any backbiting or any type of putting down of David even behind David's back? Even when David was not there, was Jonathan a faithful friend? Yes. There's no backbiting here. There's no undertones of, of, of uh, you know, superiority that Jonathan felt over David. No, everything he says, according to the biblical account, says that Jonathan made sure that David looked good in the eyes of his father, Saul. It continues on there. Verse 4, let not the king sing sin against his servant, against David, because he has not sinned against you, because his works have not been very good toward you, or have been very good toward you. For he took his life in his hands, he killed the Philistine, and the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood to kill David without cause? So Saul heeded the voice of Jonathan. Who stands up for his friend? Jonathan does. This, this was a wise man who was a godly person who followed after the Lord with all of his heart who had the support of the people even and what is he doing with his future he's saying don't kill David don't kill David then Jonathan called David, and Jonathan told him all these things. So Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as at many uh, times in the past. Jonathan intercedes for his friend. To, to a person who is the king of Israel that wants to kill David. It continues on, next chapter, chapter 20, verse 1. Then David fled from Naoth in Ramah and went and said to Jonathan, What have I done? What is my iniquity? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? Again, Saul wants to kill him. So Jonathan said to him, By no means you shall not die. Indeed, my father will do nothing, either great or small, without first telling me. 
And why should my father hide this thing from me? Is it not so? Uh, then David took an oath again and said, Your father certainly knows that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. David understands the circumstances. Jonathan is, of course, you know, uh, has love for his dad still. And he has love for his friend, David. And David knows what Saul will do if he is alone with him. Verse 4. So Jonathan said to David, whatever you yourself desire, I will do it for you. And David said to Jonathan, indeed, tomorrow is the new moon. I should not fail to sit with the king to eat. But let me go that I may hide in the field until the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked permission of me that he might run over to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the family. If he says thus, it is well, your servant will be safe. But if he is very angry, be sure that evil is determined by him. Therefore, you shall deal kindly with your servant. For you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. Nevertheless, if there is iniquity in me, kill me yourself. For why should you bring me to your father? Does David want to make sure that the relationship that Jonathan has with his father Saul is preserved? Even willing to give up his own life, by the way. Verse 9, Jonathan said, Far be it from you, for if I knew certainly the evil was determined by my father to come upon you, then would I not tell you. Then David said to Jonathan, Who will tell me, or what if, my, or what if your father answers you roughly? Jonathan said to David, Come, let us go out to the field. So both of them went out into the field. Then Jonathan said to David, The Lord God of Israel is witness. When I have sounded out my father sometime tomorrow or the third day, and indeed there is good toward David, and I do not send to you and tell you, may the Lord do so and much more to Jonathan. But if it pleases my father to do you evil, then I will report it to you and send you away that you may go in safety and the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. What is Jonathan saying there? Whatever my father has planned to do for you, let him do it for, to me. Let him do it to me. Sacrificially putting himself between his friend and his dad, the one who wants to kill uh, his friend. Now you guys all know the rest of this story. What, what happens? Uh, Jonathan goes back into uh, this banquet hall. The first day he makes an excuse for his friend. Saul believes him. Second day, unfortunately, he doesn't. If you skip ahead there to verse 23, it says, And as for the matter which I have spoken of, indeed the Lord be between you and me forever. Then David hid in the field, and when the new moon had come, the king sat down to eat the feast. Now the king sat on his seat, as at other times, on a seat by the wall. And Jonathan arose, and Abner sat by Saul's side. But David's place was empty. Nevertheless, Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought, certainly something has happened to him. He is unclean. Surely he is 
unclean. What's the automatic assumption that Saul has toward David? He's sinned in some way. He's done something wrong. He's not able to come. It continues on there, verse 27. And it happened the next day, the second day of the month, that David's place was empty and Saul said to Jonathan his son, Why has the son of Jesse not come to eat, either yesterday or today? So Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked permission of me to go to Bethlehem. And he said, please let me go. For our father has a sacrifice in the city. My brother has commanded me to be there. Now if I have found favor in your eyes, please let me get away and see my brothers. Therefore he has not come to the king's table. Then Saul's anger was aroused against whom? Who is he angry with? Jonathan. And he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman. What is it like to call your oldest son that? Do you know what he's saying about his son? This is a curse word. This is bad language that he's using against his own son. Saying, you are the son of a perverse woman. This is, you know, adult language here that Saul is using to describe his only or his oldest son. Do you not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame? To the shame of your mother's nakedness. Now this is the climax. This is the culmination. This is, if you have never read this story before, the aha moment. What does Saul know? And Jonathan does, by the way, too. But Saul feels threatened by it. Jonathan does not. What does verse 31 say? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, do you understand this fact? That as long as David is alive, what does it say? You shall not be established, nor your kingdom. Thou therefore send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. What is he saying there? As long as David is alive, you will not be king. Because according to the natural role of politics, the natural role of the patriarchal system, the natural role of what it means to be a king and a prince, who should be the next king of Israel? And Saul understands this deeply. Jonathan should be the next king. Jonathan should be the next king. What are you doing being friends with the enemy, Jonathan? Do you understand what Jonathan is giving up here? This isn't just clothes. This isn't just a friendship. He's giving up his throne for his friend David, willing to lay down his own life, knowing, knowing that David is going to be the next king, that David has been anointed by Eli, that they, or by Samuel, to be the next king, that, that it is 
David who is going to be the next king. And he still gives up everything for his friend. Everything. So that David can become the next king. What does Jonathan say? Verse 32. And Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and said to him, Why should he be killed? What has he done? Then Saul cast his spear at him to kill him. What is Saul willing to do to stop David from being king? Kill his oldest son, Jonathan. And, and we've seen this before with David. We understand that, it, you know, with David, he's throwing the spear twice already. But now, who else? His son, Jonathan, the next in line to be king, according to the human way of looking at it. In order to prevent David from being the king. By which Jonathan knew, of course, you know, it's obvious now, it was determined by his father to kill David. So Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger, ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had treated him shamefully. This wasn't the first time. This wasn't the first time. You see, Saul had over and over and over again throughout Jonathan's life, as we saw earlier in the, the, the account of the army, as we see here. And this is in a public place, by the way. This is a feast where this is taking uh, place at. Everybody sees this. And Jonathan leaves. And you know the story. What does is, what is Jonathan go out? He goes out into the field. He he uh, shoots the arrow. It goes beyond the stone. And what's that uh, representing? That David must now leave. Skip ahead to chapter 23, verse 16. 23, verse 16. David's on the run. Saul is trying to kill him. Saul has been chasing him from cave to cave, from Philistine area to Philistine area. And finally, he's in one of these last places where he is at. In 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 16, it says, Then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in the Lord. What does a friend do? Not only did Jonathan make a covenant with David, not only did Jonathan give his very clothes to David, not only did Jonathan give up his throne for David, but he goes to him in a time when David is his lowest. And what does he do to his friend? He encourages him. He strengthens him. What does he say? And this is the heart of Jonathan, by the way. This is the heart of Jonathan toward David. What does he say? And he said, Jonathan said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king 
over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Even my father Saul knows that. Whom does Jonathan know will be the next king of Israel? Is he willing to give up everything for his friend? Everything for his friend. Knowing whom the next king will be. Not a jealous bone in his body. There's no envy in any of this. It, it is all making sure that David is now the next king of Israel. Now unfortunately, you all know the rest of the story. Verse 18, what does it say? So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and David stayed in the woods, and Jonathan went to his own house. 1 Samuel chapter 31, verse 2. 1 Samuel chapter 31, verse 2. This is the end of the book. What happens at the end of the book? Is it a happy ending to 1 Samuel? What, what happens in verse 2 of chapter 31? Chapter 31, verse 2, it says, And the Philistines follow hard after Saul and his sons, and the Philistines killed... Who did they kill? Jonathan. Who did they kill? Jonathan. Abinadab. Malkashua, Saul's sons. Philistines know what to do to eradicate a line. They kill Saul, then they kill Jonathan and the sons of Saul as well. How does David react to this? How does David react to this? Is he happy that Saul is dead? Is he happy that Jonathan is dead? I, I'm now the king of Israel. 2 Samuel chapter 1, verses 25 through 27. First, or 2 Samuel chapter 1, verses 25 through 27. Just, just one uh, page or two uh, over on the right of your Bibles there. Uh, Saul, or David gives this amazing uh, dirge or this amazing funeral song about the former king Saul. But what does he mention there in verses 25 through 27? How the mighty have fallen in the midst of battle. Jonathan was slain in the high places. How does he describe his friend Jonathan? What's the first thing that he says about his friend Jonathan? This was a mighty warrior. This was a person who loved the Lord with all of his heart. This was a man who followed after the Lord. This was a courageous warrior. This was a man who had the love of the people. This was a person who was next in line to be the king of Israel and gave up everything for me. I am distressed for you, my brother, Jonathan. You have been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was wonderful, surpassing the love of women. Now, unfortunately, many people misquote this verse. But, but what, you know, how many wives does David have, by the way? You know, at this time, he has at least nine, you know. Uh, but he understands what friendship means. To have a friend who's willing to go to the very depths of what it means to give up everything for another person. 
And even when, you know, uh, Solomon, David's son, writes about friendship in the, the book of Proverbs, he understands what friendship means. Hearing the stories of what David told to Solomon about his friend, Jonathan. Jonathan gives up everything for his friend. Verse 27, again, quoting the previous verse, how the mighty have fallen and the weapons of war have perished. This was a godly man who gave up everything for his friend. Do you know, and I, I, I know you know this, that we have a friend like that? who gave up everything for us. Uh, turn with me to John chapter 15. Uh, th this well-quoted verse, the, these uh, well-known verses, maybe you even have them um, memorized. Uh, John chapter 15, verses 13 through 15. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do whatever I command you, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you my friends for all things that I heard from my father I have made known to you. Now I want you to take these verses, okay? And this week, read uh, chapter 14 of 1 Samuel, or read chapter 19, read chapter 20, read chapter 23. You see every single one of these things that Jonathan did for his friend David that are mentioned here in John chapter 15, verses 13 through 15. Uh, did Jonathan initiate the covenant? Did Jonathan give up his very life for his friend? Did Jonathan give up the throne for David? He could have been selfish and kept it all, or at least tried to, or had jealousy in his heart, or envy in his heart. What did he do instead? He gave up everything for his friend. Jesus does this for us. And guess what? He can be your friend as well. He can be your friend as well. I know many of you have accepted Jesus Christ into your heart. Uh, I, I, I hear the stories, and th this is why, you know, I love it when Pastor Tink comes up here and promotes the, the Monday night Bible study, because Pastor Tink does an amazing job on Monday nights, and there's, you know, very few men that come, and uh, to, to hear what he says to these men about the book of Acts is just uh, uh, amazing, you know, bringing out what the Holy Spirit is doing in the book of Acts. Uh, or on Wednesday mornings, or on Wednesday nights, you know, the various pastors that teach throughout the church, the Sunday school teachers that are willing to give up their time to help these, you know, kids in the Sunday school rooms. Uh, th these are people that have given of their time for other people that, that give up their uh, time and service for others, using their gifts for the glory of God. Jesus is even a better friend. Do you understand that? Uh, Jesus gave up his life for us. And the amazing thing is, if you turn to 
Uh, Revelation chapter 3, if you don't mind turning with me uh, really quickly there. Uh, Revelation chapter 3. Do you understand where we get to sit? And I love this because it's, it's amazing uh, what we see in Revelation chapter 3. And, and I want you guys to turn there if you don't mind. Uh, Revelation chapter 3 verse 21. Revelation chapter 3 verse 21. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. Where do you get to sit with God? Do you understand what that means? You get to sit on the very lap of Jesus Christ. And where is he sitting? On the throne of his father. In heaven. Uh, th this should just blow us away. What does it continue to say? As I have overcome and sat down with my father on his throne. We are part of royalty. We, we are a part of understanding what it means like to be the friends of of Jesus Christ who died on the cross for us. And he freely offers that gift to us. There's a hymn. It starts out this way. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. Do you understand? You're just carrying it yourself if you're not giving it to Jesus. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Do we have someone that we can go to who is a friend even deeper than Jonathan to David? Even deeper than David to Jonathan. The greatest friendship that we see in the whole Bible. That you have that kind of a friend and you can come to him at any time. Knowing that you have access to the very throne room of God. And he invites us freely to come to him and present our requests to him. Uh, sing this hymn with me if you know it. And the words will be up on the, uh, the screen there. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry. Everything to God in prayer. Oh, what needless pain we forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. We're going to go up just a little bit. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will our sorrow share? Jesus knows our every weakness. 
Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with the load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge, take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield thee. Thou wilt find a solace there. So, Father, we thank you that, that we can come before you as our best friend, as the one who gave everything for us. And Lord, we thank you for the many examples that we see of friendship in the Bible. And I thank you for the friends that, that I have, for the friends that are in our lives, that are represented even here in this congregation today. And Lord, yes, we know that, that we are called to be friends to uh, those around us. But we know in our hearts that we fail, that, that we do not always measure up to being a, a good friend even. But we thank you that we have the example in you, that you came to the earth for us. You gave us garments. You gave us armor. You gave us your life. You gave us the, the ability and the privilege to sit on your lap on the throne. It, you gave us the privilege of being able to come before you with every single one of our requests. You gave us the covenants. You initiated the friendship to us. And we thank you for that, Lord. And so I ask that you would give us the courage today to do the same to those around us. Just as we see in the life of Jonathan. Just as we see in John chapter 15 where a friend would go to the very end of his life even for his friends. Would lay down his very life for his friends. So Lord I ask that you would encourage us today to not be the ones who come to this church and just sit down and expect other people to be our friends but that we would be the ones to reach out to others lord i ask that you would help us today to be the ones that are that are courageous the ones that are are wise in our relationships the ones that are willing to give of themselves to other people lord and Lord, I thank you for the examples of many of the people here in this church that do that even now. So Lord, I ask that you would use us this week for your glory and your praise. We have such an amazing friend in you. In Jesus' name, amen. And